0: You're listening to the Enneagram Guide Podcast with your host, Angie Meyer, where every week Enneagram enthusiasts just like you listen, grow, and connect to authenticity through the wisdom of the Enneagram. Welcome to episode one. In this episode, I'm going to tell you all about the nine types. And a little bit of an introduction to the Enneagram. So it is a perfect episode for the beginner who just needs to know the basics of all nine types before they really start diving in to what they're thinking their type might be. And it's also an episode that I'm making specifically to be very shareable because um, the Enneagram is really complicated. And so you might need an episode to share with someone if they're just getting into it, where it's sort of the basic information. And so I'm talking to all my Enneagram beginners, but if you've been listening to Enneagram stuff and you know a lot about the Enneagram, it also might have some insight for you because it's always good to learn information from a lot of different modalities. So the first thing I want to talk about is what is the Enneagram? The Enneagram is a personality typing system, so it's kind of similar to Myers-Briggs or Strength Finder if you've ever heard of those. And um, if you haven't heard of those, that's fine. You can just imagine a personality typing system where you uh, figure out a lot about what personality you are. There are nine types in the Enneagram, but within those nine types, there's actually so many variances. And so it's more than just boxing people into nine types. It does have some spiritual roots. The Enneagram comes from spiritual roots, which we're not going to get into the whole history because that's like nerdy and probably boring, especially for beginners. Not to me, but boring for some people. And, um, the important thing to know is it, though it has spiritual roots, it also has a lot of important practical psychological applications. And, um, In my opinion, it is the best personality typing tool because it looks at your core motivations for your personality type and not just your behaviors. So a lot of these other personality typing systems are looking at the way you act, the way you behave, the way you think. But this is actually looking at the deep parts of your soul and what makes you truly who you are and why you are the way that you are, which is something I love about the Enneagram. And sometimes those personality types, the nine personality types are called personality archetypes. So if you hear me say that, that's just what I'm talking about. And, uh, I think a lot of people can get nervous because they're like only nine types. What in the world? Like, how could my personality fit into only nine types? I was talking to a relative of mine the other day and he's like a, older. He's like in his seventies and he was like, yeah, none of the person I've never been able to find a personality type that fit me because I'm so unique and different and special. And so how could I fit into just a type? But the Enneagram, like I said, has so many variances that it's important to know that these nine types are just scratching the surface. There's things like subtypes and triads and stress and growth arrows and wings. All of that I will get into in future episodes, but this is just a introduction. And that's why I have a whole podcast for the Enneagram. A few things to know before listening to me talk about all the types is I go out of order. So I don't go one through nine. I actually start with two and end with one. So sorry ones, you have to wait till the end. The reason for that is kind of complicated and something that I definitely will get into in a later episode, but that's just always my process starting with two and ending with one. That's the a system that works really well for me. And something to know you will likely identify with more than one of these types because though there are nine personality types in the Enneagram, We have all nine types within us. And so that is something that I'm constantly reminding people, all nine types are within us. And so it's really important to recognize that and not think that the Enneagram won't work for you if you're identifying with more than one type. I certainly will help you figure out that type. And so you don't have to be confused. It just takes a little bit of time and effort. I think that the best way to utilize this episode, especially if you're a beginner, is going to be to have either like a pen and paper or type um, a text message to yourself or notes in your phone and listing down what types you really identify with because you're likely going to identify with more than one number. And then you can take that information and you can listen to the full length episodes that I'm going to have in the future on the numbers that you feel like you kind of identify with. So let's get started. The first type, every type has a name, and I don't want you to get super hung up on the names, um, but the first type is called the giver, and that is type number two. And the reason why this type is called the giver is because they are really giving, t- uh, typically. They give a lot of their energy. And the to find your type in the Enneagram, you want to look at the core motivations. I'm going to say core motivations like 100 times in this episode. And the reason for that is because you, the Enneagram uses motivation, not just behavior or um, aspects of your personality. You really have to look at the motivation for why you act the way you act. So the core motivation for a two is that they want to be loved. They want to feel really like loved and supported and connected to people and appreciated by people. The thing about core motivation is that sometimes um, you suppress, like, people suppress their core motivation. So, for that reason, I'm going to talk about all of the qualities of the two as well. But, like I said, these qualities are not as important as that core motivation to feel loved and appreciated. This type's highest concern is their human relationships with their friends, their romantic partners, their families, their communities. They can be kind of a joiner, so they can join community groups often, and they get a lot of happiness and joy from that. And I think that a lot of people listening to this might think, oh, well, we all care about our human connections, but not everyone cares as much as a two. A two, it is like their fixation, their focus, their concentration in their life is their human relationships. And also, while they care deeply about other people, they want other people to care deeply about them. And they can get hurt and resentful if other people don't show the same amount of appreciation and affection that um, to them that they show to others. So if the two is being very kind and loving, if people don't give that back to them, they can feel kind of resentful. Often I find in my interactions with twos that they are unconscious to their own needs. So they might be like, oh, I don't need or want anything. A two, I know um, a two who is trying to write a manifestation list and they found that very difficult because they just didn't know even what they wanted to call in. They didn't know what to ask for. And so that's, if you're a person who's like, I don't need or want anything, you really should look into, you might be a two. They often feel like they're never kind enough or doing enough or being enough for other people, which is exhausting. And they have a constant compulsion to say yes to everything if it is to help people. And usually they do not say no when it comes to helping other people or they feel a tremendous amount of guilt. And so if that's you, um, the Enneagram can definitely help you work on that. The last thing that I want to say about twos is a lot of people mistype as twos. These people are specifically parents because of course, parents give everything up for their kids and their kids are there. Like if you have kids, typically they're going to be the center of a lot of your energy and you're going to give them a lot of kind love and compassion, but that's just being a good parent. And so If you're thinking you're a two because of the way you are with your children, I really want you to look outside of that relationship and think about your relationships with other people too because um, most people do kind of pull in that two archetype as the way that they treat their children, which is a wonderful thing. That's being a great parent, but it doesn't mean you're a two. You could be a different number. The next number that we're going to talk about is type three, which is the achiever. And the achiever is someone who is incredibly goal-oriented and wants to accomplish things. This person, their core motivation is being, they feel accepted when they're recognized for their achievements. So they're always making um, their goals happen and they're always really figuring out how to do it. They are concerned often with their appearance and their reputation. And this sounds kind of like a negative thing, but I really want to challenge that. I don't think that they're superficial. I think that they just don't want to look incapable because they want other people to trust them and to find their work meaningful and their accomplishments meaningful. So they're not like selfish people who just want everyone to adore them. It's a lot deeper than that. They're really natural leaders and they're really good at lifting other people up. Threes are wonderful at that. They if you have a 3 on your side, they're going to help you grow into the person that you want to be. And they are not scared to be the center of attention. They're usually like really charismatic and they get things done very quickly. If they have an idea, they're like let's make this happen. Let's do they're action oriented people. They often do overperform because they see overperforming as a means to feel success or achievement, which to me seems, I'm not a three. I think that that seems so exhausting. And I think a lot of threes experience exhaustion from that. It is not so important that they're successful because they want material gains or because they want to be like very independent and they don't want to rely on other people They really want to be successful because success is how they feel valuable to the world. And they typically don't feel valuable unless they're achieving something. And that means that they're hyperproductive people. And they do really naturally bring people to them because of their charisma. Their vibe is really magnetic. And so threes usually don't have any trouble making friends or having at least a lot of people wanting to engage with them. They certainly are not the type to sit around daydreaming or spend a lot of time relaxing. There's a famous three, his name escapes me, but he like, um, this is such a quintessential three thing. He holds the record for, I think, like crossing Antarctica in a really short amount of time. And he's like climbed Mount Everest like two or three times. I mean, that is like a three people who are constantly achieving, constantly making things happen, doing like really wild stuff that the rest of us kind of are like, why would you even want to do that? Um, a type four. I love type fours. And um, I have, I'm not a type four, but I have a lot of four behaviors. And I will get into the reason for that in episode two. It's all about wings. And so I have a four wing. So if you want to learn more about that, check out the second episode. But um Type fours, they do have a stereotype. Their stereotype is kind of like the moody artist. And a reason for that is, well, there are are a huge amount of artists who are type fours. It's like a disproportionate amount of type fours are are artists and like artists are less common in the other numbers. That doesn't mean all artists are fours, but a disproportionate amount are. And also fours are really emotional. So that stereotype has a little bit of truth, but it is still a stereotype. And um, the core motivation for type four, type four's core motivation is to be very original or special. And that is the way that they feel connection and accomplished and that they feel sort of valuable in the world is their unique perspective or their authentic personality. And so because of that, typically it's really important for type fours to express their authentic selves and they really want everyone else to be able to express their authentic selves as well. Their name is the individualist and they get this because they are often trying, they spend a lot of energy expressing their authenticity. And they can have struggles with comparing themselves to other people a lot, like They'll look at other people's situations and be like, oh, why is it so easy for that person to, I'll just use um, work, for example, for that person to get a promotion, but I'm working so hard and I can't get that promotion. Or, oh, I'm so dysfunctional and these other people just for some reason seem to really have their lives together. They can have a exercise routine and a healthy eating routine and I just can't seem to get it together. I see that a lot with type fours. They, type fours, can really get lost in sadness or melancholy, and that's not an uncomfortable place for them. They can be really comfortable just being melancholy. And to people who aren't type fours, that can be shocking and uncomfortable. So if you're someone who's really comfortable with sadness and melancholy, you need to look into more information about fours. With this being said, because they're comfortable with sadness and melancholy, they can hold space for other people. It is like a superpower. They can be with someone when someone else is sad, and that does not make them uncomfortable. And um, like, what a wonderful thing. You really want to have fours around if you're experiencing grief. I think that they can be very supportive in that environment. And they don't necessarily, sometimes they like are unconscious to the fact that they care if they're unique or individual. So while I say their core motivation, the most important thing is that they are in ways special or expressing their authentic personality. But sometimes that desire can be repressed. I see that a little bit in some fours. I certainly experienced that when I was accepting my own fourness, Um, that I didn't necessarily, I felt like I don't necessarily care if I'm special or unique. So I'm certainly not a four, but in truth, I really do. And I'm not a four, but I have a four wing. Listen to episode two to hear more about that. But, um, but that's something to think about. So if you're connecting with all these other things, but you're not connecting with the wanting to feel special or unique, that desire might be repressed. Fours are also often concerned with like the broader meaning of human existence, so they are constantly contemplating deep existential conflicts or concepts, and they can really get stuck in their own internal world, not only their internal world of imagination, but also their internal world of contemplation about the deep existential concepts in the world. And um, kind of like an example of a four, I know a four who spends a lot of time, instead of taking action on what they need to accomplish, they spend a lot of time in their emotions, emotionally processing. And that's actually really healthy for a four. They Their gift is their emotions and truly feeling their emotions. And so if you're someone who, instead of jumping into action like a type three- spends a lot of time emotionally processing, then you're probably um you probably need to look at being a four. All right, type five. I am really excited to talk about fives because that is my type. Type fives are called the investigator. And type five's core motivation is being competent and having time to research the subjects that they want to research. So they're called the investigator or sometimes the researcher because type fives just are really happy sitting alone, researching, getting stuck in their own world of research. And they're like compulsively researching or however I should say, we are compulsively researching. So Fives, like fours, do get stuck in their own internal world, but for a four, it's a world of imagination and contemplation, but for a five, it's a world of research and investigation. There is another, um, type ones can also research and investigate, and I will talk more about that in a future episode. So if you are a researcher, that does not necessarily mean you're a five, but you should look at five if you love to get stuck in a world of research. And in a way, there can be kind of opposite of type twos. Type two was the first type we talked about, the helper, um, the person who wants to help everyone, the kind of nurturing parental type. Type fives are really threatened by others needing them. They don't want other people to need them because they're always like hoarding their energy. And so, um, I do that. I hoard my energy because I want to have energy to be able to like research, um, stuff for the Enneagram stuff for my business. I'm an artist stuff for my art. I just want time to do that. And, um, so I'm always constantly worried about people taking my energy. It's a problem. I know it's a problem. And, um, and so because fives are so protective of their energy, they will compulsively avoid anything that they even perceive will drain their energy. I certainly do that. I try to, I'll avoid sometimes social obligations because I'm worried it might drain my energy. And um, and so it's always good for fives to have people around them who force them to get out and be social. Fives usually enjoy one-on-one connections more than group dynamics. So they would be more likely to thrive in a conversation if they're at a party, um, which is not a five scene. But if they're at a party, they will probably be talking to one person for a long time as opposed to engaging in a conversation with a lot of people at once. And they don't like to mix their friend groups. They wouldn't be the type to want to invite all of their friends over for a party and mix everybody up and see what happens. That would be so uncomfortable. I for me it's very uncomfortable. I like to hang out with people all kind of separately. And a type 5 doesn't like to be rushed. They don't like when other people put expectations on them. This is mostly because they want to research everything before they act. So in this way they can be a little bit opposite of a type 3 and type 3s are the ones who are always like jumping into action and making things happen. That can be kind of stressful for a five. They tend to, fives tend to repress their emotions and prefer to process emotions alone. So it's not that they don't have emotions, but they usually don't like to show them and they usually want to process them alone. They also like to have specific end times when it comes to being outside of their home and, um, they're really like concerned about time management and don't want other people to control their time at all. I am so at war- I'm a teacher also in a- in addition to an Enneagram guide. And I'm so weird about my contractual hours, like being a five. I just, I, not that I don't mind staying, I don't mind staying late and I do often, But I want to have control of that. And if someone forces me to work outside of my contractual hours, I'll get like really weird about it. And not everybody does that. I am kind of um, intense about it. And so ones do like to research, but the reason why ones research is because they want to be right about things. But the reason why fives research is almost like they're researching for no particular end in sight. They're just researching for the sake of knowing And that can be kind of like a, I feel like I'm using the word compulsive a lot with fives and that's because they're kind of compulsive. It can be like a compulsive need to just know everything about a certain subject. And so for me, those subjects are like Enneagram. I love human design. I'll probably talk about that a lot on this podcast and art and my business and dogs. And so um, there's not only one subject, but it's not that many subjects. I don't need to know everything about everything. And type fives are kind of like, like to specialize in certain subjects. Type six, the loyalist. So who doesn't love someone who's super loyal? Type sixes are awesome. And the reason they have this name is because once you're in a type sixes inner circle, you are in it for life. They are always going to try to protect you, keep you safe, think about you, put you in their mind. And so um, what I will say is that type six's core motivation is to feel safe and secure. A lot of people mistype, that means they think they're a type that they're not, mistype as a type six because everyone has a need for safety and security. Like we all want material security. And so it's really important That if you're thinking you're a six, you really consider that because being a six is a lot more than just wanting safety and security, because we all want that. Being a six is like driven, like every action they have is driven by this need for safety and security. And so, for that reason, they have a lot of anxiety. A type six has so much anxiety about possibilities that could be really negative, think negative possibilities that could happen. And so they often will run through all the potentially bad things that could happen in any given situation and um, have a solution or a preparation for that. So this means if something really bad happens, they are prepared. They're kind of the one you want in an emergency because they're going to be able to handle that situation. I was talking to someone, um, and this was such a sexist thing that she said. She was saying that, even when she was little, when she would drive over a bridge, she would think, okay, well, what will I do if this, if this bridge falls apart? I think a lot of people have fears of bridges, but I think that this was just so six-ish. What will I do if this bridge falls apart? What am I going to, what action am I going to take? And what is my plan? And she says, even as an adult, she still thinks like that, but about all things in her life. Like, what would I do if I get in a car accident? What would I do if someone breaks in the house? What would I do if All of a sudden, me and my partner both lose our jobs. Like everything has a contingency plan. Sixes also, sixes are very complicated. And so I really want you to listen to the six episode um, that's coming in the future if you think you're a six. They can be really trusting of authority figures and almost overemphasize authority figures' importance. So for example, a six would try to find an authority. You're listening to the Enneagram. So let's use that as an example. If you're a six, you would try to find an Enneagram authority and like listen to them and their information would be like the guiding factor for all of your Enneagram thoughts and considerations. So like me, an Enneagram guide. Or um, someone might feel this way about their teachers. They might be like really teachers pet-ish because that teacher that's important to them really has like all the information and they're going to follow exactly what that teacher says. However, Another almost opposite behavior of sixes is they can be really untrusting of authority figures. So an untrusting six would be like if an authority figure does something that they consider unsafe or unreasonable or incorrect, they're going to be highly critical of that. They might even be highly critical of authority figures before they have any reason to be. And so that's why I say sixes are really complicated. All sixes, though, test people. So because they have such trust issues, they will sort of like test people. And that can look a lot of different ways. They might push someone away just to see what they do. Or they might um, not let someone in until someone shows them that they're a really safe person to be around. Like I said, once a six lets someone in, they're in for life. So it's a big commitment for a six. They often will be second-guessing themselves. So like a six would be listening to this podcast and, um, and think that they maybe identify with all the numbers or none of the numbers. And they would have a really hard time. Even like I said, writing down notes of the numbers that they identify with a six would be like, Ooh, I don't know. I'll never figure it out on my own. If you're a six and you're feeling that way, don't worry. I can help you. Um, just keep listening and you'll figure out your type, but Uh, Another thing that sixes do is they have like an internal committee or an external committee. So like a group of friends or like a, almost like an imagined committee in their head to figure out everything that they, when they're making a decision, everything that they need to, to make that decision. So they have a hard time making choices and they usually need other people's input to make choices. All right. So the sixes are really complicated, but um, if you're feeling like you might be a six, definitely keep listening to future episodes. The type seven, these are the enthusiasts. I, being someone who spends a lot of time at home and like researching, it's hard for me to imagine how enthusiasts live their lives. I'm so fascinated by type sevens. So they get this name because they're super enthusiastic about life. They're always chasing fun experiences and new experiences, almost seeming like always on the go. Like they're just a big explosion waiting to happen and not like a bad one, but like an explosion of fun. And their core motivation is to have fun, new experiences in their life because they do not like to get stuck in sadness and pain. So they're constantly kind of running from that sadness and pain um because at, and to do so their coping mechanism is to make sure that they're having a lot of fun. They're not the type to get stuck in melancholy and wallow. They would be like why are you even thinking about sad stuff when you could just choose not to? And so the type 4's personality is very confusing to the type 7s in a way they're almost opposites. And um, a type seven is someone who always likes to have plans to look forward to in the future. So they're using constant movement to avoid that pain. Sometimes sevens don't necessarily um, acknowledge that they even have pain. So if you are someone who loves fun and loves sort of like glass half full type of personality, you might not realize that you're actually running from pain. That's often a repressed thing for type seven. They are unlikely to do like inner child or shadow work or any kind of deep trauma healing. Um, at least at first, because they're going to have an adverse feeling to that because it's drudging up things of the past. And they're like, why would I think about things from the past that were hard? They do not like when choices are taken away from them. When someone limits their choices, they get really uncomfortable. And the reason for that is because they don't want to miss out. And I think something so fascinating about sevens and to me very lovable is that they like to flatten hierarchies. And what I mean by that is they don't want to be in charge of other people, but they don't want anyone in charge of them either. So they're like, I don't want to be the boss, but I don't want you to be the boss. I just want us all to not have a boss. And I don't, I don't know why. I just think that that's so lovable. Um, I want to tell you about a seven trait, a person who I know who has this very intense seven trait. So I have a friend who is always the one who is like in makes up um, ideas for trips, for vacations to go on for me and my friend group. She's always the one bringing that up. She, and it will be like, other countries she'll be like let's go to this other country and usually like the rest of us who are less adventurous than her rein it in and we end up doing something in this uh, I live in the United States so we'll do something in the United States and um and I just think that that's so fun she always has a million trips to look forward to and she's so energetic and always looking for, for travel and experiences I mean she's not always energetic but she's looking for travel and experiences and fun things always looking for the next really fun thing. And that is a very seven trait. So that person who's always calling you and being like, Hey, like, let's go on a trip or let's go to a concert or let's go out to dinner. That's very seven ish. Type eight is known as the challenger. Um, I mean, all these Enneagram types have like several different names, but the challenger is a common one. And the reason they are called this is because they're pretty comfortable with confrontation and challenging people. Sometimes they can be kind of like devil's advocate or argumentative. Um, And the reason that they do that is because sometimes they feel like if you can argue with someone, you can truly be your authentic self. So their authentic self is like a hot, heated, intense personality. Sometimes you might say aggressive. The challenger or type 8's core motivation is to be strong and independent. They do not want to be vulnerable. They do not want to be weak. So to avoid those feelings, to avoid relying on other people, they are strong and self-reliant and get things done on their own. Being weak in front of other people would be the worst thing for a type eight. They, that would make them so uncomfortable and having to rely on someone for their needs to be met would also not be something a type eight would be interested in. They tend not to be over of their emotions because they don't like to show vulnerability. Um, But vulnerability is actually something really important to eights. And there's a lot to go into for eights to grow into their vulnerability and how cool that is. So definitely listen to future episodes about eights and vulnerability. If you have eights in your life, eights are like the type to protect themselves and the ones they love in an almost aggressive way. It's not like sixes who are protective and loyal because sixes are protective and loyal because of anxiety about bad things happening to them and their loved ones. Eights are protective because they don't want anyone to control or hurt their loved ones. They're not anxious about it. They're just like, no, these are my people. This is me and my people, and we're safe, and everyone's standing behind me, and I'm protecting everyone. They're really headstrong and determined. And unlike a 7 who likes to flatten a hierarchy, 8s want to be in charge. The reason they want to be in charge is because, well, number one, they're excellent leaders. So that's great. And also if they're in charge, then they don't have to rely on anyone and they can protect everyone who they're in charge of. So it's not like a power dominance thing for 8s necessarily. It's just like They want to be the one in charge because they feel like they can keep everybody safe and then they can keep themselves safe a lot. I um, have an example of an eight. So I have a best friend who's really into music. And when we were in college, we would go to concerts like every weekend. And when we would go to concerts, it was often we would be like in the standing area because we were young. We were in college. And um, we didn't sit down a lot at concerts. And people would always be pushing and shoving and, like, being kind of aggressive. And my best friend was, like, immediately – it was like she was a German shepherd. Immediately she would, like, bark back when people would cross – not me, or not her, but me. If people would, like, get in my way, they might just, like, nudge me a little bit. And she'd be like, are you okay? Let me let me defend you. She was always defending me, um, which was so sweet. And so that's kind of, like – the quality of eights is they're going to be incredibly aggressively protective. I think a lot of people think that their are significant others, specifically um, people with husbands will think that their husbands are type eights a lot. But if you think that about your partner, if, especially if it's a husband, um, then you want to think outside of your relationship between the, your husband's relationship with you and your children. Because I think that, um, A lot of people can mistype, easily mistype their husbands as type eights. I certainly, I don't know actually what my husband's type is, so stay tuned and I'm sure I'll figure it out and tell you. I haven't, I I haven't typed him um, because he's not that interested in personality typing stuff. And so, but I definitely have thought, oh, he might be an eight, but I, it also is because he's very protective of me. And, um, and our dogs and his friends. And so who knows, maybe, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I'll let you know in future episodes when I type him. All right. Type nine, type nine is the peacemaker and the peacemakers whole core motivation is to avoid conflict and unpleasantness and live a peaceful, harmonious life. So they love harmony. They kind of have like a Zen presence about them. Not that they are always walking around like almost with like meditation music surrounding them, but they just have a quiet confidence that is really peaceful and really calm. And it it doesn't mean that they're quiet all the time, but they certainly aren't the type of person who feels a desire to be the center of attention. They just want to come in, do their thing only have good interactions, and then leave. They hate conflict, and because they hate conflict, they can be avoidant, especially to someone who's kind of combative. And they usually need a lot of time alone to recharge in a peaceful space. So they're really happy when they can just be home and have peace, and they can sometimes be like homebodies they can go to great lengths to create harmony in a group and sometimes that can um cause disharmony within them. and so people who are always balancing everyone's energies to make everyone happy, sometimes that's a 9, sometimes that's a 2. um but that can be really difficult for them. so they would not be the type of person who would be aggressive. now, if they have a strong opinion, they do um, they do make that known, but it's not, it's assertive, not aggressive. So like the eight can be assertive. The type I just talked about that, um, the challenger can be assertive when they have their opinion and, um, or they can be aggressive rather when they have their opinion. But the nine is almost like an unmovable presence, like an unmovable mountain, just like they're going to stay there. They're going to have their opinion and like no one's going to trigger them or aggravate them or make them jump into extreme reactions. Another really important quality of nines is they have a lot of ritual grounding practices, like what daily walks or reading or journaling or meditating or like what like just those are the ones that I can think of, but whatever people would what might do ritualistically to be grounded. Type nines live in that space. My business coach is a type nine and she posts on her Instagram stories. Like she's constantly doing ritual practices, like going on hikes and like journaling, meditating, all this stuff. It looks so nice. Um, and so that's a quintessential type nine. Type ones are the perfectionist. I love ones. I think everyone needs a one in their life um, one of my best friends is a one. Ones are the best and ones are really good at creating systems for success. So, not all ones are super perfectionistic, but they can be. But all ones are really concerned. Their core motivation is being right or good or ethical. And so type ones are going for those sorts of things. And it can be hard for a type 1 to identify with that because It looks really different. There are a lot of different ways that ones can look. And so some ones will do a lot, most ones will do a lot of research so that they know the right answer and they know that they're sharing the right information. One's total superpower is creating systems out of chaos. So whereas I might look at a problem and be like, there is absolutely no solution. We can't figure this out. This is too chaotic. I don't know. A one will organize that information in a, in a really like coherent way and make a system and usually typically really be able to share that system with other people so that other people can access it too. They're so good at that ones are just incredible. They get really frustrated when they have to work in an environment that is completely mismanaged where they are unable to make those systems or implement those systems or where those systems are consistently being challenged. So while they can create systems out of chaos, if, if their process to that is challenged, that's really frustrating for ones. And I wouldn't recommend them staying in those situations. They have a strong inner critic and we we all have inner critics but theirs is the like the strongest and that can be really exhausting and hard they can also be judgmental of other people however they are harshest on themselves so they and the reason why they're judgmental of other people is not cuz they're assholes the reason is because they see problems that the rest of us don't see so it's hard for them not to make a judgment because they can see problems because they're such efficient thinkers that the rest of us don't. However, that means that they are the harshest on themselves. And um, they have a complicated relationship with anger. So anger can express itself as almost vindication. If they see some kind of social injustice, I heard a example of somebody um seeing like a retail worker, a, a one saw a retail worker being treated really unfairly by a customer. And that one like went and told the customer off and like sort of jumped into an action to help out that retail worker. Um, or ones, if they feel angry, sometimes they can repress it. It's called reaction formation where they can become like overly polite. And that is um to protect themselves, and there is a lot of a lot of nuance in the ones, so if you're thinking you're one, I definitely want you to listen to that full episode just because there's so much going on when I talk about my friends a lot, one of my best friends is a one, and she certainly is an overthinker. she overthinks every everything, and um an example of a very one-ish trait that she has when we were in college. I would like have her read all of my papers because she was such a great editor because she understood the grammatical systems like way, I'm not good at grammatical systems. She understood that so well that she could see things that I would never see. And that is just the quintessential one. They see things that other people do not see. And so that's all the types. It was so fun to unpack each type and there will be more future episodes to really get deeper in this information. This is an absolutely great um, episode to share with any of the beginners that you know, because it's important to just know the basics and then you can get into the details and get deep. But if you don't have the basics, then it's like so confusing. And if you want to know more or just want a quick resource to help you remember all of the different types, you should definitely download my core motivations list. It's a list where I give the core motivation for each type and it can help you learn a little bit more, but it can also just be a helpful thing to have when you're looking at all the types, either for yourself or for your friends or family Because it's just a really quick reminder guide. And so um, get the link. There's a link for it in the show notes. Get on that link and download it. And it's also, I'm an artist, so it's like designed really cute. So it's easy to look at and easy to understand. Um, I do have a few spots available for one-on-one typing sessions. I do Enneagram typing sessions to help people either figure out their, try to figure out their type or confirm their type so if they took a quiz online but they're just not sure, I help them confirm it. It is so fun. I love doing it. It's one of my favorite things to do. And um if you are interested in that, I will have a link in the show notes for that as well. And it's just a really good way to uncover your blind spots and figure out why you are the way you are. And sometimes I send out discount codes for those typing sessions, so if you're if you download the core motivations list, on the link below, you will automatically be on my email list to get those discounts when I send them out. All right. That's it for today. It was so fun giving you all this information. I can't wait to tell you more next week.